Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Dr. Kim Hunt of Blue Star Families. And if you haven't taken your survey yet, go to bluestarfam.org and make sure you take the survey. Uh, Kim, when does the survey end? What's the end date in case somebody's listening to this after the fact? We have 10 days left to complete this survey. October 16th will be the end. So if you haven't done it already, please make sure you visit the link that Sandra will put up and take that survey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so important because this really drives policy. It drives a lot of even companies like mine to make different decisions. But today we're going to talk about military kids and education because that's such a big thing right now. I mean, we're talking about education in general um, with all the different changes going on in our education system, but also how it impacts our military kids. So, Kim, I'm so glad you're here today to talk about this. Thank you, Sandra, for having me. This is really a great opportunity to be able to talk a little bit about some of the findings that we've had from last year and what we're looking at this year. And as you mentioned, um, this particular trying time is trying for everybody in their education and trying to get their kids' uh, education going and virtually helping them with schooling as well as their own life and what goes on in a normal day-to-day routine. Um, And then with the military family, you add on top of that the possibility of relocation, um, a delayed deployment or a deployment that's been extended in their family. And that adds another layer for military children when they have to um, consider their different schooling options when they're trying to PCS or uh, when they are actually getting to a new school, but the new school is not in session. And how do they make that work? Uh, Because one of the things that we found out, especially last year, is we did sort of a deep dive into um, the military compact, which I'll talk in in a moment about. But we also found by looking at the connected communities last year and how connected military families are to their civilian communities, that schools were really a gateway for military families to connect to the civilian communities. It allowed people an opportunity to meet other parents, uh, children to meet other families, and it was really important. And now that's sort of being taken away in places or at least somewhat hindered in the ability of families to utilize that community. And so that's something that, that we would like to look at in this year's survey. We have some questions about Uh, Also, the community connectedness again this year, but we also have questions about how did schooling go for you? What kind of schooling did you have for your child this year? Did you have a choice on whether your child went back or not? Because that a lot of times has an impact on your perception of how schooling is going and how your kids are doing in school. Um, Did your kids have a chance to participate in extracurricular activities? That also is an extremely important part of military families, military children acclimating to a new environment in the school after relocation. 
Sure, because, you know, you make friends and you can kind of defray the stress of a new environment. If you can go kick a soccer ball, you know, the, the common language is soccer or maybe it's cheerleading. The common language is cheerleading. Doesn't matter, you know, where you're from or what, you know, what you're doing or how long you've been friends. There's a like a common line there. And there's also the social aspect of parents meeting other parents. I know when I moved to this little town, my kids were whatever, three months old and two and a half years old. Kim, I lived here three years. I didn't meet anybody. You know, my neighbors had no interest in meeting me. It wasn't exactly the friendliest community. And there wasn't any opportunity for there was no mommies and me, there was no any of those groups that in some communities, people do meetups, and they get together, and you can just go online and join. There was none of that for me. And I think when a lot of our families are remote, like I am, you're there and you're your kids, everything at that point, not just the toddler and infant, everything. But you know, I have two boys, and they're 14 and 16. And there is no sports, there is no school, there is no everything. And I am responsible for everything. There's no buddy they can talk to when they have a problem. Yeah, they can get on Zoom, they can get on their phone, but it's not the same. It's not the same as going to school, leaving your cares behind, focusing on what girl you like and seeing her, you know, all these little things that are our landmarks, or is he going to ask me to the dance, or does he notice me? You know, all these little things, they don't seem like much, but they're vitally important to the well-being of our children. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that's also across the country right now. Different regions are doing different things. Here, you know, in Southern California, pretty much everything is virtual. Um, They're starting to to open up in some places and private schools have had exemptions. But for the most part, most kids are in a virtual environment still. Other places in the country, there's a little more of a hybrid option Mm -hmm. that's available And so it sort of depends on where you go. And one of the things that we found last year in our survey was families, they make all kinds of sacrifices Mm -hmm. to make sure their children's education is not sacrificed. So they choose schools, uh, I mean, homes, a lot of times based on school districts. Uh, They also look at things like um, what, what is available in a school. And there are many families who choose to remain separated for a while so the children can have the type of schooling they want. For example, about 20% of military members from our respondents said that they were geo-batching, which means the service member goes ahead to the duty station, the family stays behind, and that could mean two or three years of a voluntary separation, most often because of, well, about a third said the primary reason that they did their geobatch, they chose the geobatch, was for their children's education. So they could stabilize their children's education. And that's, um, that was really a big number. It's only 20% the geobatch, but a third of those said they did so specifically for their children's education. And so that's really important. And one of the things that we're hearing, we're not positive of all the outcome until we get our survey results back and do a little more digging, but one of the things we're hearing is now there are some families that are choosing to move back home, wherever home is to a family member or past duty station, if they have in-person schooling versus virtual schooling where they may be stationed. So there's sort of this other side of the separating for the children's education. 
and military families will sacrifice to make sure their children have that stability and the strong education. Kim, I'm just going to stop you for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Best Fiends. Now, Best Fiends has been with us for almost a year, so we really want to honor them and thank them for sponsoring today's episode and so many other episodes. Now, Best Fiends is a really, really fun game. You're going to really enjoy it. And you can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And we're talking today about military education, and we are all stressed about the education of our kids, like normal education. Then we have distance learning. We have online learning. We have hybrid learning. We have cottage schools. We have all these different types of things that just stress us out to no end. And life is all about connecting to something bigger than these day-to-day moments. Like, you know, the internet is working, so I can't get any of my kids on the um, classes this morning. So that was exciting. And I was the one who needed a break. Like they thought it was great. They're like, woo, free time. But I needed the break. And that's when I like to clear a few levels of Best Fiends. And it's a five-star rated mobile puzzle game. So you're not going to be disappointed. And what I like about the game is it's really fun. It's got cute colors. It's got characters. It's got themes. You know, there's holiday themes like Halloween and November and Easter and, and Christmas, you know, all these different things that kind of get me in the spirit. And it takes me away for a minute and I can beat up on healthy things like these slugs, like a slug Mageddon. I can do that versus like yelling at my kids or my family. And the other thing it allows me to do is just take a break, like take a break from everything. I go into this little digital world and I play against my family and my friends. So that's kind of fun. And I do love when they they clap and they cheer and they go, yay, because we all need that as moms, because there's hardly any yay uh, in a, you know, in a, in a household full of kids trying to learn online <laughs> as a mom, you know, unless mom gets them on, then I get a good yay. Um, but one of the things I really like about the game is that I can play a couple rounds. I can put it down. It doesn't use my Wi-Fi. Um, it doesn't need Wi-Fi to play. So I can play it anywhere. I can play it in a line. I can play it sitting in the car waiting to pick someone up. And it gives me a little boost. It just cheers me up. Um, what can I say? It's a happy game. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. 100 million downloads and counting can't be wrong. So you'll be so glad you did. It's it's free to download. So I play it. I wouldn't endorse anything that wasn't super fun or super cool or really worked for me. So go ahead and try it. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now, Kim, we're talking about military education and some of the things that you guys are looking at. We're sort of looking at what are those things that parents are doing this year not just looking at what were the challenges, but what are some of the solutions some of the families have come up with as well? Right. I mean, because when you're, you know, I can speak a little bit to this. When you're separated from your family, you know, I'm 3,000 miles away from my family. Now I'm single and divorced. And, you know, being able to call someone to help me with the kids or to have a birthday dinner or a Thanksgiving that isn't filled with your friends and strangers, you know, or, or whoever's like, I used to have this motherless day event because, you know, it was just everybody who wasn't, couldn't be with their mother would come to my house and we call it motherless day. And it was tongue in cheek, but 
you know, those social structures, those events that keep us together and help us feel connected, you know, if the whole family is struggling and we struggled a lot being 3000 miles away from everyone. And that was really tough on, on the kids, on their sense of belonging, you know, where do you belong? And that's one of the things that I think I hear a lot from my family and friends. And even me, I don't know where home is anymore. So home to me would be maybe my childhood home, the one I lived there the longest. So, you know, when they say there's no place like home, where's home? That's and that, that is often the case with military children, you know, where they live the longest, where are they now, where is their parents' hometown? Um, so certain things like that. So that move and that connection to the community through the school is something that is vital to helping military families acclimate to new duty stations and new environments. And, and we see that often. And one of the other things that we looked at, too, with relocation is the, mili- the uh, military interstate compact was um, put in states uh, to make sure that the states who agreed to it uh, would make it easier for military kids to get to transfer from one school to another. So the interstate compact was developed by the interstate combat commission and they wanted to make sure things like if you moved and your child was in kindergarten in one school in one area and the age requirement was different in a new one that your child could still continue in the grade level that they should be in, that they had been in. They also wanted to make sure that children could register for schools, even if they didn't have all of the materials yet for that particular area. Um, They wanted to make sure that the children got into the right courses, especially if they had um, special courses like uh, advanced programs, that they were able to get into those classes as well. And also that if the time frame for an extracurricular to try out or sign up for it had passed, the kids could still get into it. And so that, those are all very important parts of being able to transfer smoothly from one school to another. And we found that for the most part, most states, most school districts are doing a pretty good job of adhering to that compact. Um, one of the things that is uh, most difficult, as we know, we talked about before, is those are extracurriculars, which also help children make friends who have the same sort of interests that they have or... Uh, as they get older, those teens that can maybe lead to scholarships for college, uh, whatever it may be, but those are all very important aspects of transferring from school to school. And the one thing that we did note is, although parents thought that everybody was doing a pretty good job, they thought their school was doing a better job, which is really nice to hear. And most felt that their children were thriving in the environment that they were in was, again, also really great to hear. And then this year, you know, taking a deeper look at how those things have changed for military families during this very trying time. And many military families uh, who had permanent change of station orders, which meant they were moving from one duty station to the next, uh, came up against what was called the stop movement. And the stop movement said, okay, everybody stop. Wherever you're at, that's where you're going to be. And in some cases, families were separated. The family went ahead to either get their kids enrolled in school or stayed behind. And so families were separated at that point, which made it a little, you know, a lot more difficult on 
on those families, especially the ones that ended up at a new duty station right at the same time everything closed down. And then they didn't really have a school that they came from because they had disenrolled. And they hadn't quite enrolled in the new school. And the new school was still trying to get everybody already on track. And so we're trying to see what those experiences were like as well. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's so difficult because these are unprecedented times too. You know, yes. you have, you know, like I know in my school district, I give them a lot of credit because you have teachers who are not tech. You know, I happen to be a big tech girl and that's easy for me. And they've called me in on a number of occasions to help the teachers navigate the tech. And they're like, I teach third grade because I didn't want to be in tech. <laughs> you know, I mean, and you look at some of these little ones, you know, trying to do their matriculation online, you know, kindergarten, first, second graders. I mean, and then the parent has to be present with those children. You can't just give them the computer and expect them. Um, my, my first grade teacher friend, she had the greatest thing, Kim, she said, I never thought in a million years I would have to tell my student to take his cat off his head. <laughs> yes, there. I think there's going to be quite a few of those stories this year. After all of this, uh, we, we get to a new normal at some point. And that is one of the other things, too. You mentioned how the parents are sitting there with their children, which is very important. Because as you know, one of the things that Blue Star Family has looked at quite often over the last few years is spouse employment. Well, now you have the spouse at home trying to help the child with their virtual schooling. They could be possibly trying to work from home as well, or they may have a a job where they have to leave and now childcare has been turned upside down or the childcare they have is not able to support the children in their class, in their virtual schooling. And so there were a lot of adjustments that schools were making, parents were making, Childcare centers we're making, and it seems one of the things that we really want to see is how this impacted spouse employment overall with these other impacts going on with the virtual schooling and the childcare. Were, spouse, were spouses who were employed, did they have other challenges? Did some have to leave their jobs or reduce their hours? What was the impact there as well? So the entire family unit uh, was affected by children being virtually schooled. And so that is something that we also wanted to look at as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing when you have, you know, I have friends who are trying to, to kind of mommy share the kids. So, and, and, you know, and it's in an era of when we're supposed to be socially distancing and, you know, my neighbor, she's Air Force and she has four kids at her kitchen table every morning, not her kids. She has one of hers and then three of others. And they all come together each morning. One, she has good Wi-Fi, but there's a parent there and then the other parents work. And then on Tuesday, you know, they go, that that little pod goes over to another mom's house. And, you know, we're trying to work these pods, if you will, you know, between the neighborhoods, but that only works if you have, you know, roughly same age children and, you know, and you're not socially distancing because you, you know, you can't. That is one of the questions we have on there. We want, we want to sort of look and see, are people using these educational pods? Are they getting together with other families who have, as you said, children of similar ages and helping to sort of share that responsibility? We've also read a lot of literature on 
families who have hired maybe former teachers yep. to help with their kids and supplementing that virtual learning. And so we do have a lot of questions in this new survey about that. So if you have children and you are experiencing this virtual learning and you have a story to tell, please make yep. sure you take that survey, you tell us your story because that story will then be amplified and your voice will be heard by far more people. If we can hear everyone's story and put them together, then we might be able to make some changes or, or have some solutions that other families can sort of borrow from and use. Well, and one of the things that I found, you know, with respect to, you know, kind of the amplification of stories as a radio host for the military mom talk radio show for what, 15 years is that there's a lot of comfort in knowing you're not the only one. You know, Absolutely. even if your voice is heard and you tell your story and literally nothing happens, you know, I tell stories all the time. I bring people on to tell stories all the time and it takes five years for the Pentagon to do something or six years for something to happen. Okay. We get that. That's, that's just life. But if somebody hears it and they don't feel so bad, you know, like I call, talk a lot about validation, comfort, support, acknowledgement, you know, if somebody says to me as a single mom taking care of my veteran dad, you know, I'm soul supporting and all they say to me is, wow, and you're still standing. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's enough. You know, nobody needs to give me an award. I'd like to win a car. Sure. You know, if anybody's giving away a car, you know, I'll mm -hmm. win the car, but, but there's, there's not enough said about the simple acknowledgement of the difficulty and how that can help you get through your day. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons when we say we want everybody's voice to be heard. It is. It's very gratifying to know I'm not the only one who was struggling with this or with that. And even more importantly, to listen to the stories of those who have found solutions. Or in the case of Blue Star Family, Blue Star Family is, is very well respected across the country. And your voice is heard when it's put together with everyone else's voices. Yeah. And those policies can change. For example, one of the things that has come about because of the, the ability to hear families' stories about schools and what works and what doesn't work is in recent years, the BRAC Commission, which is the commission that decides which bases are closing mm -hmm. and which bases are not, it used to be that education was not one of those that was considered. However, now they are looking at the schools that military children are in. And if those schools in those base areas that are sort of on the fence are either performing very well or performing very poorly, that actually factors in now to their decisions on which bases to close. But if these voices weren't amplified and these voices weren't heard and your story didn't make it past your front door, then no one knows that this is happening and no one knows this is an issue. Well, and I think there's part of the thing that I think is changing and I'm glad that it's changing. You know, when I was little, it was the put up or shut up generation. You know, <laughs> you just put up and you shut up and you dealt with it and you didn't complain. You know, that was not, that was not the good way. That was not the way you were supposed to be. So you just put up, shut up and you didn't complain. And I think it's worth taking a moment to, identify the difference between complaining and then explaining or showing what is 
You know, we can't Mm -hmm. fix something if we don't know it. And no one's asking everyone to suddenly complain about everything. But if something needs to be fixed, if something needs to be changed, speaking up is different than complaining. And putting up and shutting up is valid for some things, but not for all things. And, you know, these surveys are a way to be heard in a way that's also very private. You know, I think a lot of people hold themselves, especially in the military family, they hold themselves with a certain level of restraint, a certain level of competency, and we don't complain, you know, and we, we don't ask for anything. We, we deal with what is, right? We're, we're experts at dealing with what is. Whatever it is, you know, if you pack up my garbage in the refrigerator and ship my refrigerator off, you know, to another location, and we unpack it and it's still got, you know, garbage or it's got, you know, old food in the refrigerator, you just deal with it. You roll with it. You don't call and make a complaint. You don't make a big deal out of it. But I can't tell you how many people have had help with packing up in a PCS move and they packed up garbage. Okay. Or dirty laundry, or right. yes, <laughs> multiple things. Yes. Yeah. So you, we laugh and we have a good chuckle about it and we accept it. Um, but if we don't say anything about it ever, how will it change? And that's that's the thing I want to talk about, Kim. Is what's the difference between complaining and reporting, or complaining and and you know talking about what is a problem in your in your life in your family? Well, one, one difference is by taking something like a survey like this that is already created in such a way that literature has been read, research has been done before the questions are even created and put into the survey. And what that allows is for voices to be put together to make choices on things that we already know have risen as an issue in the past. And by using the survey to give your voice, you're actually making concrete. Back that up. You're actually choosing from concrete choices that have been already well-researched. For example, instead of just saying, oh, my school is awful. It's just a terrible, I, I don't like what they did. The choices are, were you not able to get your child in the right? Courses? Were you not able to get your child the right grade level for their age? They're very specific. It's not just a general complaint. It's saying this particular thing was not working for me or my family. And if that particular thing was not working not only for your family, but hundreds of other military families, then we know it's an issue. And so this is not just a general complaint, things aren't working well. These are very specific of what is not working well. And by having that ability to point out what is not working well, then there's an ability to look for solutions to that problem. So that is, to me, that's the primary difference in complaining and doing something like having your voice on this survey is because we won't just hear generalizations. We'll hear actually concrete answers to what is not working. And then we can look for ways to fix those particular issues. Well, and especially if there's, you know, in some cases, some of these issues have been around, uh, most of these issues have been around a long time. They're, they're nothing new. But, you know, a lot of times we make efforts to fix things and we think that we're fixing them, but we're really not. And I think that's the other thing that's really valuable that comes with speaking your truth, if you will. 
you know, the mm-hmm. truth of what's going on, the difficulties you're having, because, you know, we get it. We're resilient people. We can adjust to just about everything that's thrown at us. But if we don't have to, <laughs> why would we? And there's well-meaning people trying, like Blue Star families, well-meaning groups that are trying to enact change for the better. Because I was trying to figure out, Kim, for today's show, how many kids, how many kids are in military education since the first, or since the since the the last, like whatever, sixteen years we've been in this war. So, how many kids has that affected? Well, if I had if I had some time, I can give you a number of how many. But it takes a little bit of digging and a little bit of research. Uh, but you figure about half of military families have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and about, uh, about half of those, I believe, are in K-12. So I don't want to put out a, a, an odd number, but I could definitely find out a, a good approximation of that number, how many kids but there's a lot, there's a lot is my point. Like, yes, we go tens of thousands, you know, the, the, this last one started when my son, my son was born in July and the war started in July. So I, I can look at him as a 17 year old and go, there is a whole generation of children, you know, raised in this last war and to go, okay. So not only do they have you know, all the different moves that traditional military takes, but this is the first time in history that our children, our military children are exposed to things in ways they weren't in years past. When I was little, my mom took the TV away. You shut off the TV. What are you going to see? You know, now you're on phones, you're on the computer, you're looking at things at school. You can't go to the gas station and get gas. And I remember I was trying to cover up for my toddler, like I didn't want him to see certain things. And this is at the gas station pump. They were showing the news. Yep. Oh, yeah. We're inundated. Yeah. So we can't shield our families in the way that, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we were shielded. Now, 90s, 2010s and the teens it's a whole different ball game. Now there's been benefits in education and, and opportunity for all these things, but it's also been a great big exposure. You know, what has the availability of media and the coverage of our service members and actions overseas, how's that affected our kids? I can't imagine it's been good. Well, one thing that we have found is that, you know, usually for the most part, military children are pretty resilient mm-hmm. and you know they um we we just finished the rust survey so I, i'm not going to go too much into those but that will be coming out soon and that is one of the things that that we have looked about at and are very um focused on is the resiliency of military families and yeah that includes all the members of the family and so yeah that it is a very different generation that they are growing up with we have kids who have gone from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade not knowing anything different right than than what it is today and of course now we have this little bit of a different look on that but that is that is one thing that has always been common in military families and that came out very clearly in that last year's 2019 survey is that military families will do whatever they can to help support the stability of their kids and to help support their education. And that, that is vital to making sure that families have a stronger level of support and that they are able to 
do that for their children, to be able to support their children throughout. And that's one thing that actually leads directly into morale for military families. And morale is important to operational readiness. And so being able to support military families in their pursuit of their children's educational needs is vital in the long run to anyone who has anything to do with the military is connected. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this survey is so important so that we can hear what those things are. What, what, is, what is important to those military families? Mm-hmm. Well, especially as things are changing. You know, yes. that's why I think, you know, this year, you know, one of the things that when I've, when I've talked to people and done some promotion for um, the survey, and this isn't, you know, I didn't get paid to do it. It isn't, you know, it wasn't a job for me. Um, it was because without this information, groups make huge mistakes because they don't know any better. And if you don't speak up, if you don't take the time to fill out the survey, it doesn't take hours, you know, but if you don't, if you don't speak up, then, then people can't make adjustments. They can't make course corrections and they're flying blind. And that's, that's problematic because a lot of these things, Kim, we can fix. We can fix most of these things. Yeah. As long as people know what that problem is, right. And it's put into the hands of an organization like Blue Star Family that is committed to helping with policy changes that are supportive of military families. And one thing I did want to touch on too, because you mentioned this, is the anonymity or confidentiality. That is asked a lot of times. How do I know that if I say something, it doesn't get back to um, someone who I don't want to hear it? Well, that's not going to happen because we don't connect your name to any of the information. All the information is reported out with thousands of other individuals who have also taken the survey. And so that is never an issue. When you are taking the survey, you never have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And to be honest and to be transparent is very important because if we don't know what all these stories are, what everybody's truth is, as you mentioned, then we don't know what the issues are that are facing the families overall. And when I say military families, I don't just mean active duty military families. I mean the parents of those active duty military families, the siblings, the adult children, National Guard, Reserve, veterans, all of the military connected individuals. They should all be taking the survey and giving us their insight into their unique lens on the military lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, funny you talk about, you know, the different looks of the military family. Um, I did a little giveaway. Thank you for the shirts from Blue Star Families. And one of the families that won the shirt, one one of the shirts was she was an army mechanic. Her husband was a helicopter pilot um, and their daughter is currently serving and their two twin daughters are planning. They're 17. Now they're planning to go into the military. I mean, five people in this family. So which one is which? Is it the mother of the service member, the mother of the service? You know, it all gets tangled because how do you define the military family? I think if one of your immediate family members that you love and care for, however you define it, is your military family, that's good enough for me. Because I have a girlfriend who's been with her, I don't even know what she calls them, partner for 20 years, they have three children, but they're not married. Mm-hmm. So are they considered a spouse? Are they not considered a spouse? Let's talk about, we've got a couple of minutes before we have to end the show, Kim, but 
what is considered like who who can fill this out? Could my friend who's a partner of 20 years fill this out, even though oh, she's absolutely. not a legal spouse? We actually the wording is spouse or partner. And so they will get the same questions. Your friend would get the same questions a spouse would get. And especially considering they have children, um, they would also get all the questions that have to do with military children, military children's education. She would also get this, the employment question, all those types of questions. It's very important that if you have any connection, we also, um, I think I mentioned this before, but we're going to have a parent finding. And so we certainly want parent voices in this year's survey. Um, siblings often are forgotten and we want to make sure that their voices are heard. There's different portions of the survey that you will see depending on what your connection is to the military. And this is the first year that we're offering people the chance to choose, as that family you mentioned, more than one identity or one role. We ask you to choose one primary role because that's the one that will make sure that you get every question that we absolutely need you to get because we want your voice and your input on that. But it also means you have other questions you'll get that you would not have otherwise gotten. For instance, my husband is retired Navy. And so my primary is veteran spouse, but our daughter and son, in law they serve. And so I want my voice heard as a military parent as well. Right. And in prior years, I was not able to do that. But this right. year, I will see the parent section as well. Well, I and I, I have the flip side because I'm, I identify myself now greatly as a veteran caregiver because I have my 87 year old dad full time. He's a veteran and I'm his caregiver. Now, five years ago, I never would have identified with that box. I would have checked a different box, but this box, my primary, cause it's my I'm day in and day out in it every day. And so I love that the survey reflects these different groups and that you can change. You know, if you're divorced, are you no longer a military spouse? Ha ha, how about that? You know, you still are, you're still co-parenting, you're still doing all these same things. So, you know, it's, it's whatever resonates with you. So if you're listening today, go to bluestarfam.org. Go ahead and take the survey. You'll be glad you did. There's an opportunity to win something at the end. That's not, you know, why we're doing it, but it is kind of fun. So you guys can enter into that if you'd like. And um, if you have any questions, go to bluestarfam.org. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.